This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3339 for Thursday, the 20th of May 2021. Today's show is entitled, Linux in Laws S01E30, Politicians and Artificial Intelligence Part 2 and is part of the series Linux in Laws. It is the 30th show of Monochromic and is about 58 minutes long and carries an explicit flag. The summary is, part two of the miniseries, on deep learning, politicians and other approaches, to intelligence or not. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. This is Linux in Laws, a podcast on topics around free and open source software, any associated contraband, communism, the revolution in general, and whatever fancies you tickle. Please note that this and other episodes may contain strong language, offensive humor, and other certainly not politically correct language. You have been warned. Our parents insisted on this disclaimer. Happy mom! Thus, the content is not suitable for consumption in the workplace, especially when played back in an open plan office or similar environments. Any minors under the age of 35 or any pets, including fluffy little killer bunnies, you trust the guide dog, unless on speed, and QT Rexes or other associated dinosaurs. At the beginning of the episode, you will notice a reference to quantum computing, which may seem to be out of context for some of our listeners. For a resolution of this mystery, check out the outtakes at the end of the episode. This is Linux Quantum Physics in Laws, <laughs> Season 1, Episode 30, TensorFlow and such. Martin, good evening. How are things? Hey, Chris. Things are great and wonderful. Uh, Perfect. Always. How are you? Can't complain. Not the, now that the moolah is rolling in. Is it? Oh, right. <laughs> the uh, cartel's coughing up finally, are they? <laughs> no, but apparently the, the company that I'm working for is five for an IPO. Are they? I thought they just had some funding. <laughs> well, no point in stopping now, right? <laughs> How does that work? Hang on. You're getting people to fund you and then... <laughs> be That's the plan, I think, yes. <laughs> I'm not sure there's much logic in that, but anyway. Fair enough, fair enough. Since when features logic into IPOs? Well, if you're listening, offer and friends, uh, feel free to send me some more shares. Yeah. For all my hard, hard <laughs> offer on the off chance you're listening, yes. Send me some, send me some additional shares too. Yes, and where is the open source support for Redis in Redis Labs? <laughs> 
Okay, but Redis is not the subject of tonight's episode, but rather um, something called neural networks, as perhaps yeah. avid listeners but do recall. specifically, no? Say again? Framework specifically. Yes, as avid listeners will recall, mm. there was a part one where we basically tackled the foundation, and this is part two now, of a... 27 and a half <laughs> part series on, on machine learning deep stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our, our friend Ken did ask for more contributions, didn't he? So, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. He also sent feedback what we want to tackle this in a minute or two. Oh, yes. No, mm -hmm. jokes aside, this yes. second part is actually uh, building on top of the first part. Now we're going to actually tackle um, some but way more concrete stuff like actually frameworks that implement neural networks. Indeed. Like. So, Martin, why don't you give us a quick recap of episode one? Episode one? Oh, it was ages ago, isn't it? For, kind of... for those for those few <laughs> listeners who missed, missed out on it. Okay. Episode one was really the basics of how neural networks work, right? So, which, um, yeah, not everybody wants to dive into because that is a lot of work and why not reuse what other people have built already in magnificent frameworks like PyTorch and TensorFlow. Indeed. So before we go into the nitty-gritty details, maybe we should do a little bit more of a detailed recap of what was epi what episode one was all about. Essentially, um, we well, spoke about... You, you want to give it a crack, yes. Again. Yes, but for those people <laughs> who do not want to spend another three hours... On the director's cut. Well, they have to, really. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's the prerequisite for this episode. <laughs> yeah, but that's not very user-friendly, Martin, is it? <laughs> right, I mean, Martin, this is, this is what I told you during the marketing brief about a week ago. You have to pay attention to the needs of something called the listeners. I, I think you watch too many popular series, haven't you, where they have to recap the previous <laughs> one. <laughs> you were teaser of the next one afterwards. <laughs> Martin, quite a few people from America listening. Donald, if yes. you're listening to this, oh, yes. hello, <laughs> we're still fans. <laughs> yes. So you have to take you have to take our listenerships uh, our listenership into account. So bear yeah. in mind, yeah. yes, some people uh, will have not the attention span that we do. Some people will have, will, will younger, younger have a longer. People, <laughs> yes, some people will have even a longer attention span. Uh, grumpy old quarters. If you're listening, yeah. you know to what category you belong. To. <laughs> uh, we must do another episode with them. That was actually very, very good. I, I don't know. I missed. Mm. Anyway, mm. doesn't matter. Let's do a very quick uh, extended recap of the of the extended first part, recap. and then we can go yeah. into, into the yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, neural networks essentially are neural networks in terms of you have neurons. Which essentially can be, rep can be represented by a mathematical function. They take input values, they produce, they produce output values, and the magic actually happens inside that neuron in terms of how you model the function. Hang on, hang on, hang on. there's no such magic, and there's no such thing as magic in computer science. You know this. Thing. <laughs> I've done a PhD you, in computer science. I've been for a few years, perhaps. <laughs> 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 Okay, Martin. Sorry, carry why, on, don't carry explain, on. why don't you explain the magic then? No, no, I just said there is no such thing as magic in computer science. Well, there is, but <laughs> subject for another episode. Okay, okay. no jokes aside. Um, <laughs> the idea is essentially to model the human brain. 
And as people tend to simplify things because how a human brain works is much more complicated than simple artificial neural network is, is capable to model. They simplify things. So essentially the way it works is that a neural, that is simple, the actions of a neural are represented by a model. So it's a simple mathematical formula. It's um, sums, multiplications, all the rest of it that take input values, produce output values. And the idea behind such neural networks is that you have a multitude of neurons being interconnected. And that multitude then is multiplied by so-called, or categorized rather, into so-called layers. The neural network function functions as follows. The idea is that you have a training phase where you essentially teach the neural network how it's supposed to behave, like given the input values, the expected output values, and based on the output of the multiple layers of neurons, you modify the individual parameters that are at attached to these functions. Yeah, you um, can those connections, really, couldn't you? Exactly. And you may also modify the connections if you want to be really close to something called the human brain. Yeah. Because what the neuron brain actually does, it, it modifies the interconnectivity between neurons all the time. And this is something that we call human learning. Hmm. Yes. To, to oversimplify things just once again, <laughs> after this training phase, you should have a model in terms of you have neurons and you have values or parameters associated to these neurons that you can then use to essentially put the thing into production in terms of you give it some real input values and then the neural network does its magic in terms of recognizing speech, identifying patterns in an image and all the rest of it. Hmm. Because at the end of the day, a neural network is just about pattern matching on the very sophisticated level, granted, but that's where the magic stops. Yeah, so then this phase is normally referred to as inference, isn't it? But, um... And now the and now the second part of this um, 27.5 uh, part mini series <laughs> is actually on how to put this into 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 a bigger context in terms of now that you have the theoretical foundations how you can actually put this into production in terms of how you can apply this to the real world. Because needless to say, if you want to program a neural network, you don't have, you don't want to sit down and just program the neurons themselves, program the functions running inside the neurons and feed them the input values and then do the inference phase yourself and all the rest of it. No you want to use some model that is already out there working. And that's exactly uh, what these frameworks that, that Martin just mentioned, PyTorch and, and TensorFlow are all about. And the hint really is in the name of TensorFlow, because also PyTorch does it the same way. The idea behind the interconnected neurons is passing around values that are then used to carry out the functions of this neural network. And funny enough, these values are easily captured, efficiently implemented, and easily modeled as tensors. Hmm, maybe you would like to explain to the uninitiated what a tensor is? 
It's quite straightforward, actually. It's an it's an it's an algebraic mapping of n dimensions. There you yeah. have it. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> of course, <laughs> that's oversimplifying things. Well, no, it's it's a multi-dimensional um, array, really. Put it that way. Uh, this is one of the implementation. This is one of the expressions of a tensor. Yes, mm. in its simplest form, actually, a tensor flow. Uh, sorry, a tensor. Sorry, a tensor represents essentially a mapping from one algebraic structure to another. Think of it like a vector. A vector being mapped onto a different onto a different vector, and the mapping is actually the tensor itself. Now, this simple mapping is also called a degenerated tensor because it simply takes one vector and maps it onto the onto the other. The interesting bit, basically, is if you have whole field, fields of algebraic structures like matrices and so forth. And this is the reason why tensors are actually quite good at capturing these inter, the, the, these relations, these interconnectivity issues. So if you, if you look at popular frameworks like TensorFlow, and actually the hint is in the name, and PyTorch, the basic algebraic abstraction would be a tensor in terms of this is how you model your neural network on the very lowest layer. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that explanation. <laughs> um, where were we with this anyway? We wanted to explain how TensorFlow and PyTorch essentially do it. Well, why don't we cover a little bit about why there is more than one and what happened before? Um, Absolutely, Martin. And PyTorch. I don't know where, where you are in your uh, <clears throat> context, but um, something. Carry on. No, no, no. I just <laughs> laid the foundation, Martin. Give it, yeah. give it another shot about the non-mathematical background to this. Uh huh. I mean, needless to say, I don't want to steal your, I don't want to steal your thunder. So just go right ahead. Hang on. <laughs> Confusing. Martin is lost. <laughs> Martin, why don't you Hello. bootstrap? <laughs> Chris. <laughs> yes. Why don't you bootstrap the TensorFlow that is you, and then you can start all over again? <laughs> I don't think people have a reboot function, do they? Hmm. Implementa another implementation flaw, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> Five, five, six, seven years ago, people started building various frameworks. Like, I mean, uh, I think Keras is one of your favorite now. Don't know how long that's been around, but um, and uh, in the last, I don't know, five years, uh, TensorFlow came out first to um, try and and get a bit more of a standard to this. And then about a year later, you will like, do you know the background of PyTorch, by the way? Uh, probably not as well as you do, so give it a shot. Well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, the original, the, the pre, pre, or the, what PyTorch is based on is Torch, right? Which was. That's a library, yes. Hmm. Which was written in Lua, which you may be familiar with. <laughs> <laughs> you familiar with Lua, Ben? <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid. To, yes. What, what would you say the, um, uh, the the attributes of Lua are. OpenWRT uses uses it as a basis for a web framework called Lucy, which is essentially the web-based GUI for your router management. 
and there's also this crazy Sicilian, Salvatore, if you're listening, no offense, who had this idea <laughs> of providing a script-based interpreter on top of a very popular NoSQL database called Redis. Indeed. Mm. Anyway, um, so, so, I mean, Lua is not really known for its its wide adoption, I would say, about from... No, hang, I mean, on, I would... hang on, Martin, Martin, Martin. Does Prosody ring a bell? How much? Prosody. Yes, it does. And this is actually written in Lua, believe it or not. Yeah, but if you compare it to other programming languages out there, then it's a little bit low down the... Well, Prosody would be one of the Adoption most popular XMPP servers on the planet. Yes, but that's not a programming language, is it? <laughs> no, no, it's just an XMPP, just an XMPP server, that's correct. It just happens to be written in Lua, that's all. Good, good, glad we can agree on that. <laughs> anyway... So yeah, Lua is is uh, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I saw Lua for the first time. Well, not obvious, but uh, first time I came across Lua was with Redis. Um, don't know about you, but um, so for, for many people, Lua is pretty unknown, right? And um, is not that well known for its modularity or or uh, widespread adoption amongst well, the programming you... fraternity. Unless you take a peek behind the scenes, because Lua, like Redis, is basically present in pretty many areas. Yes, I, as a fact, I came across it first basically when I installed my open my first OpenWRT instance on a router. Yes, but you didn't program in Lua, did you? Not then, no, but later. No. Yes, but that would have been in your Redis days, I imagine. Slightly before. Okay. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Anyway, so yeah, um, some people, <laughs> or many people, are not that familiar with Lua, and they, and so the founders of PyTorch thought, oh, hang on a minute, everybody's using Python, why don't we wrap that around Torch and create PyTorch? PyTorch right. was born, yes. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, why don't you tell us where TensorFlow came from? Google. Uh-huh. <laughs> No, the idea was essentially to provide a low-level infrastructure for fallback propagation networks. Because, as probably the majority of our listeners would imagine, Google was really the company that kick-started at artificial intelligence all over again, even way before companies like Facebook and so on copped on. Okay, this is what we didn't. This is what we didn't cover in the first episode. Well, not in, in great detail anyway. Artificial intelligence goes back easily as in computer based artificial intelligence goes back in, goes back easily to, um, the fifties and sixties. Flawed artificial intelligence goes back even way further. Who's flawed? Like, yeah, like the, like the attempts to, um, breed certain politicians who had strange ideas and the rest is pretty much history. But we won't go into that because this, yeah, is, not a, this is not a history podcast. But rather so. an open certainly not a political one. Well, I don't know. It's debatable, <laughs> I guess. There is a um, okay. certain amount of communism support here. <laughs> anyway, carry on. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, so in the 50s and 60s, North, especially North American scientists had the idea of, well, com we have computers now. So modeling a human brain can't be that difficult. So speech recognition and uh, image recognition and such things are just around the corner. 
in the 50s. So they developed beautiful programming languages like Lisp and other functional approaches Mm -hmm. with the idea actually to put, to, to, to build the foundation for something called artificial intelligence. The trouble is that the existing hardware at the time didn't live, didn't quite live up to their expectations. So this is the reason if you take a close look at the history of artificial artificial intelligence, the whole thing entered a hiatus or a hibernation period or whatever you want to call it in the early to mid 70s. And of course, there were kind of wake up calls in between. 90s tried to rewrite the whole thing in terms of there was a company called Ron called Nuance that tried to use artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence for speech recognition, but these were kind of isolated blips. Oh, yeah, because even sense. then, yeah. the hardware wasn't really up to scratch to cope with the, with the computational demands of artificial intelligence. Things really changed when a little unknown search company called Google entered the stage in the mid-2000s. Because, as probably we all know, Google is not necessarily about hardware, but rather the intelligence running on top of this hardware, as in doing software that is able to massively parallelize algorithms running on cheap hardware. That's exactly how they did their first um, search engine implementations. You'll see this, actually, if you take a look at their base infrastructure technology like big table, like big file system. Uh, it's all mm-hmm. published. You'll find the show, the, the links in the show notes. The idea behind this is actually that they come up with software that took into account that a hardware is not perfect. Hardware can fail, but the real intelligence is actually in software. Well, so our... you say that, but Google did um, develop the TPU, right? Which is That came later. Yeah, but the, the notion of cheap uh, commodity hardware. <laughs> anyway, anyway yeah, carry on. They, carry on. Yeah, they, they deviated from this part of But these are commercial implications, which we're going to touch in a minute or two. Anyway, yeah. uh, to cut a long story short, the yeah. idea behind the, the initial Google of version 0.9, if you will, of searches and Brian's invention was actually to, to do it, to do, to do it with intelligent software. You'll see this in the initial implementations. They had the foresight to imagine file systems that are able to cope with petabyte of data because the file system at the time didn't measure up to these expectations. So they simply sat down, not the two of them alone, but rather the software engineers and devised software that is able to power such large scale systems and do it in a very reliable way. And that's exactly how they arrived at, at, at the technology that they have in production right now. And along their way, they discovered that there's this ancient technology called artificial intelligence that has been more or sleeping for the last 30 plus years because simply the hardware wasn't ready. So in addition to something called TPUs, like TensorFlow processing units, we want to tackle this in a minute. They come up with the idea, okay, we produce software that is able to execute on standard hardware, but massively parallel. The idea behind the initial Google was, and I'm just using Google as an example. Okay. You buy cheap kit 
but you expect this kid to fail. So you do software that is able to cope with failure. This is common lore. Google has never confirmed this, but they were able to cram more motherboards into a rack than the then, and I'm talking about early 2000s now, than the, that, than the then industry standard kind of specified in terms of thermal, thermal distribution, TDP. So the, because they, they expected some of the CPUs to fail, if that was the case, they, the software would notice that and then some other parts would take over. Same thing for, for software because, because, uh, sorry, same thing for artificial intelligence rather, because the real intelligence in artificial intelligence is actually in the software. So this is the reason why they took, why they took a close hard look at the foundational research that had been done in the 50s and 60s. For example, with regards to backpropagation networks, which weren't new about 20 years ago, but rather go back to the 50s and 60s, because that's exactly the point in time when people came up with this. Indeed. <clears throat> so because GPUs and CPUs only go so far, some of the Google engineers had this bright idea of, okay, similar to GPUs, actually, we can do specialized hardware, especially if you want to deploy this in the cloud context, that is just able to tackle the TensorFlow algorithms that are implemented by TensorFlow, as in the library that implements backpropagation networks. Hence, the idea of a TPU, of a TensorFlow processing unit, was born that simply takes or that it, or that simply implements the algorithms that are implemented in, in the library on the framework itself and executes that on hardware. That's the overall mm -hmm. idea. Achieving a massive speed up in addition, and this is where the speed spot is from a commercial perspective, in addition to these TPUs being able to deploy it in cloud environments, because this is where the money is. You can go into a hyperscaler, namely Google in that case, and simply deploy a farm of TPUs that then execute your tensor algorithms. Indeed. Other cloud vendors are available, but without TPUs, yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Well, Microsoft does something similar, right? Well, most, most other people stick with um, GPUs, right? Because they are more um, easily available. Well, hmm, having said that, they're not so easily available these days, but... <laughs> <laughs> In fact, they are quite, quite scarce. Gamers, if you're listening, stop buying them. Well, I think the gamers would like to buy them, but they can't. <laughs> so, um, yeah, probably people from your cartel are buying them instead. I can't really comment on this, actually. No? Okay, good. You see, crypto mining on GPUs has its limitations. Indeed, indeed. So, yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean... Um, a TPU is really, uh, uh, yeah, a um, uh, an ASIC in in short, isn't it? That just like um, uh, where specific, you know, uh, GPU mining is also programmed in hardware um, through ASIC miners are being considerably more efficient than GPU miners. Yeah. But but going back to these frameworks, is there anything yeah, else apart from PyTorch and, and TensorFlow these days? Because these are the two pro are, are there any other frameworks that come to mind apart from, well, from, from PyTorch and TensorFlow? Because these would be the two prominent ones, no? Yeah. Well, before both <clears throat> TensorFlow and PyTorch became so, um, popular, 
as there was a, a whole variety of them, right? I mean, Keras being one of them, and Cafe and MXNet, and God knows how many there were. Um, um, but they're all kind of yeah, very specialized. And, and the good thing about the, the adoption of, of TensorFlow and PyTorch is that, you know, as with any open source project, you get the benefit of many people improving these um, frameworks. Hmm. Plus or is the fact something that... else you had in mind? No, 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 not at all. I mean, the beauty is with with these with these two frameworks. They just say they are open source, hmm. and depending on your on your on your hardware specification, you can pull them down, and you can run them. You can actually, if you want to do this, you can run them on on an SOG uh, on a, on an SOC GPU. But then let's say a dedicated GPU. Well, you, you can run them without a GPU as well, right? It's, it's, yes, um, you, you can do that too, but don't hmm. expect miracles. No. But but the beauty is for the majority of something called domain specific frameworks, hmm. pretend models are available. Indeed, indeed. So Martin, what is a pretend model? Pretend model is is where someone has done the training for you. Hmm. <laughs> you mentioned the training phase earlier. <laughs> yes, and why is that <laughs> important? <laughs> Well, because it takes a hell of a long time or a hell of a long, uh, a large amount of processing power to do the training phase because it's, it's a very simple process or simple. Um, we, we, we went through it in the, um, in episode one, right? It's, it's, uh, yeah, a sheer horsepower kind of, um, scenario rather than any, anything intelligent training a model. So, um, basically adjusting your, your weights and biases until you're going in the right direction and reach your, your optimum for the model, hmm. which is done by doing many, many steps and, and yeah, doing gradient descent and so on, as we discussed previously. But yeah, so pre-trained models are great because they give you, you know, uh, a lot of pre-processed um, <laughs> training uh, in the box. And going back to the GPU or kind of parallel processing in general, any hmm. idea why tensors were chosen as the main instructions for these networks? Well, tensors aren't instructions. They're more the um, this data. Sorry, not, not, inst- not instruction, but abstraction. Oh. Ah, abstraction, right? Uh, well, because it, ma- it maps. Uh, if you um, look at your uh, neural network layers, they are arrays of numbers, right? So, um, which is essentially a tensor. <laughs> uh, Indeed, as we, but, but as we but yeah, the, yeah but, but but the beauty with tensors is actually that you can decompose them into simple arithmetic instructions hmm. which you then can parallelize on different cores in terms of GPU cores or CPU cores mm-hmm. because if you take a look at how a matrix is multiplied with another matrix or a vector most of these computations can be done in parallel only hmm. if 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 you are at the reduction phase, in, in, in to use the simple example of a MapReduce algorithm, you hmm. actually have to consolidate this using a single core. Hmm. But leading up to this, you can parallelize this easily on different cores. And this is the whole idea behind frameworks such as TensorFlow as well as PyTorch to decompose these sensors into independent algorithmic Sorry, in, 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 into, in, into independent I, I could, um, arithmetic, instru- uh, rather, um, parallelizable instructions. Mm-hmm. So that you can use the full computational power at your disposal to give it a crack. 
Yeah. So do you know why um, these two frameworks are now the most popular ones? I reckon it's evolution, right? Uh, many people saw the advantages and simply used them in their projects. Hmm. Lua or not? Well, this is the, yeah. I mean, I think this is why the, <coughs> um, the rise of PyTorch has come, uh, you know, it, it was obviously, uh, it came out after TensorFlow, but it's, it's uh, pretty much equal in popularity these days. Because the you know the the language of choice for most um, well data scientists whatever you want to call these people is, is Python right so um, it is a fairly natural fit therefore I mean you can obviously also use um, uh, the Python interface tensorflow but um, yes mm. indeed full disclosure of course there's a whole episode on Python. In, in last year's back, uh, um, back catalog of something called Linux in laws. Okay. In case you're wondering about this hipster programming language called Python. Yes, indeed. For those of you not using it. <laughs> um, yeah. So, other question I have for you is why is there a tensor? What's the difference between TensorFlow 1 and 2? Hmm. Check out the change I'm tempted to say. <laughs> No, Martin, I wouldn't call myself an expert on TensorFlow. Um, okay. So if you have the answer, go for it. Sure, sure. Well, there, there is a, there was, uh, it's quite a significant difference between TensorFlow 1 and 2. And, and it's really that uh, TensorFlow 1 was uh, imperative programming. So, uh, sorry, symbolic programming. So the, the whereas PyTorch has always been from the start, um, built that way so they're both converging to the same thing but there's a big difference so if you ever starting with uh, trying to build your own applications with tensorflow and you come across tensorflow one and two it's quite a significant difference in the way the two work so so, so it's worth noting that you know uh, one is is pretty ancient but there's there's a lot of um examples implementations out there on on one um why why don't you explain the difference between imperative and symbolic programming chris imperative programming would be like basic or cobol you tell the computer exactly what to do and how to do it and symbolic program would be much more like functional programming i.e a program a functional programming language would understand lists atoms and the relations between them yeah, what about the execution element of these two different ways of programming? I think CPUs play a major role in this. Well, it's it's uh, it's commonly you familiar with the term eager execution. I'm not. Okay. This is the reason why we have highly paid experts on the show, like Martin. That sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> Give me were... crack, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were quite, quite into your programming um, paradigms, but there we go. Um, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Ah, I thought you would probably um, be happy explaining this one, but I can do it uh, for you. I'm, I think I've done enough talking on this episode, Mark. Give it a crack. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, I mean, you know so about... I can correct you if you're wrong. <laughs> ah, I see. I see. Okay, so... 
if if we think about uh, any kind of program, right? We have lines of code, and um, in a in an imperative programming language, they are executed uh, in sequence as and then. Uh, whereas in a symbolic programming language, we have a compilation phase, right, where the most optimum um, execution of that representation of the functionality is built, right? Make sense? It does so far. So, so that was the, uh, but it's quite a, uh, so TensorFlow started with the symbolic uh, approach and saying, because obviously there's advantages to this, right? Um, like, yes, no? I'm listening, Martin. I'm listening. Okay, I was just wondering if you wanted to fill in the blanks. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've done enough filling the blanks for one day anyway, so no worries. Oh, okay. Oh, I just wanted to make it a discussion, but that's okay. Um, or or a, a two-way um, explanation, but it's fine. I can do it if you want to. Sometimes, so, Martin, I just listen in awe. That's okay. No worries. <laughs> well, it makes a change. <laughs> it does indeed. <laughs> Give the crack, Mr. Visser. Give the crack. Right. Where were we? So, yeah. Okay, so yeah, I mean, stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, right. So, if you think about a, I don't know, you, you, some people consider a, um, the execution of a program to be a graph, right? Um, and so you, you basically build with a symbolic programming language, the, the graph is built, uh, compilation time, um, and is fixed, right? So, whereas in an, uh, imperative programming, it's, it's done, every step is done. At, at the time as described by the programming language. Um, so the advantage of this, this model is that it's very efficient, right? Your symbolic uh, implementation because the compiler is trying to find your most uh, efficient way and you can reuse your memory space and all sorts of excellent stuff that you benefits you get from that. Um, which is all well and good if you have a, uh, if it's bringing it back to, to uh, um, neural networks or, or, or if we think about models, then if our model is fixed, then that's great, right? Because you can run it as many times as you want to. It's uh, optimized to the nth degree and so on, and you can uh, parallelize it however many ways you want to. Um, however, if you have a model that's dynamic or self-adjusting, then that doesn't work with a static kind of execution graph, right? So that that's, so Python from the start did that dynamic approach and with TensorFlow 2, they have adopted that as well. So, um, yeah, so, so if you're looking at or if you're using the, uh, the the methods that are available in these frameworks, then you're probably not too worried. But if you are going to develop your own models or even adapt uh, the models that come with um, some of these frameworks, then you may want to be aware of this. I mean, it, it's something that I came across with, with TensorFlow that, you know, the, the TensorFlow 1 and 2 are, are hugely different. Um, not that I'm an expert by any means, but I have certainly played with it a little bit. Um, and it's similar to, to what some of my colleagues have been saying as well. So it's... Um, but yeah, now both are have adopted the same method. So <laughs> they're both doing the same thing. It's just TensorFlow started somewhere else. Um, so yeah, that was the end of that episode. But yeah. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Because I thought that TensorFlow was mostly written in C++. 
I don't know, to be honest. Um, I, don't, okay. I, don't, I don't go into the low level. Um. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because C++ is a compiled language. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but if it's, it's more the, um, um, okay. Well, hmm. maybe we should do an episode of the, um, the different levels of, 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 uh, the different steps between, um, uh, implementing, um, TensorFlow and PyTorch. But actually, it doesn't matter anymore because both are, have adopted the same, same eager execution now. So from that okay. point of view, yeah. Um, because that, 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 this is why they changed TensorFlow, right? Because they couldn't do dynamic models because everything, once it was compiled, it was fixed. And so it couldn't adapt itself to, uh, or it couldn't be built to be adapted to ball. So TensorFlow would be the first AI framework that does, what's the word I'm looking for? Just in time compilation of self modifying code. Yeah, that sounds good. Cool. You heard it here first, people. Google, if you're listening, the, the email address is sponsor at linuxinlaws.eu. Well, you say this, but <laughs> <laughs> you know about uh, we have a future episode on, um, uh, on Google. Google. Certainly we do. <laughs> I thought the current episode was on Google. <laughs> <laughs> no, Martin, you're wrong. The current episode is on, on Bad Preparation Networks. Sorry, oh, Sorry, okay. I thought it was episode one. Anyway, um, what were we saying? Yes, yeah, so the um, one of the upcoming episodes, we're going to talk about a quite popular, well, popular, hmm, an implementation of a model which is uh, raised some waves in the community and press because of its abilities in terms of language. No, I'm, I'm, lis I'm listening to all Martin, as usual. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, if you, if you look at adoption, okay, Google is, is the, the, the biggest user of TensorFlow, right? But um, When they came up with the stuff. <laughs> well, you would hope they were the biggest user. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> If you look at uh, the adoption of PyTorch, are you familiar with a company called Tesla? Uh, they make cars, among other things. Mm, cars and batteries and all sorts of stuff. And yeah. rockets that tend to... But I think they just there. borrowed the name from some really <laughs> famous physicist. Hmm. Mm. Yes. Long gone, of course, but that's a different story. Well, yeah. Family Tesla, if you're listening, you've got a really good court case. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Tesla, yeah. don't try. Just don't forget about it. Yeah. Don't but, even um, reach out to Martin for, for, for marketing <laughs> consulting. That would be way money down the drain. <laughs> to use a technical term now. Marketing, Sorry, Martin, yes. go ahead. Let's not discuss marketing. <laughs> That's not going to go well, is it? Um, where were we? Yeah, so so a lot more companies outside of Google are, uh, well, not outside of Google, but um, are contributing, supporting PyTorch, right? Uh, and its popularity along the research community is, well, uh, I think probably uh, equal, if not greater, than TensorFlow mm -hmm. these days. Um, 
Is this still really a competition between TensorFlow and PyTorch? Well, I, I find it a bit curious that um, why do we need two, right? <laughs> it seems a little bit of a, a wasted effort. Um, so there must be some differences. Otherwise, there would one would become more prevalent than the other. If current, yeah. if current law is anything to go by, the there there are more frameworks than just these two dominating ones. Hmm. Yes, but that's kind of like, um, uh, yeah. Why, why bother, right? <laughs> um, if you have these two that are you know, seven years in the making, then why do you need another one? I mean, the, the, the functionality that they offer are obviously in the fields of, you know, computer vision, uh, NLP, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, what would you be missing to from those two frameworks to start your own? I mean, frameworks are pretty much like cars or women, right? Or men, for that matter, before before the PC police gets to us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cars get you from A to B, mm. and women make you happy, or men, for that matter, don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, uh, they have four wheels. Uh, sorry, cars now. <laughs> The PC police will probably shoot me for this remark, but don't worry about it. And, <laughs> men and, and women do have hairs, arms, and all the rest of it. There are, of course, differences. Cars, for example, have different engines. Men and women have other differences. We won't go into the details, but you get my drift. Same goes for operation networks. At the very end of the day, they are pretty similar. Mm. On the surface, they may differ a lot, but at the end of the day... They just are about mostly pattern recognition and what comes afterwards. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I mean, we were we were going to have someone on the show on these things, weren't we? But um, for logistical reasons, that didn't happen. No. Yes, but it's. it's I mean, if you think about it, um, why do you start contributing to one or the other? Which would be an interesting question for me. It's. Um, uh, you know, you have a problem to solve. Fine. Uh, uh, TensorFlow hasn't uh, solved it or doesn't provide options to solve it. Python doesn't have options to solve it. So why do you choose one or the other to start contributing to? Because you like Lua? <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe. Where, where does Lua rank on the popularity of programming languages? Or um, is it, is seven, it programming languages? seventy-six <laughs> point something on the Chobi's <laughs> index or whatever. Chobi, of course, you'll find the links in the show notes. Of the, um, of course, the Danish company. That's I think the, it's um, called the importance of being earnest or something. That's the the Stack Overflow survey, isn't it? Um, no, no, it should be something different. No, 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 that's, that's the one I was thinking of, but is it not on there? No, no, Stack Overflow actually ranks Lua at position number 17. 17? 75.6, yes. Ooh. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> of course, the routers and OW and OpenWRT helped a lot. Yes, yes. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Okay. Uh, right, sorry to, to diverge. Um, yes, what else would you like to cover? Oh, that's pretty much it, all right? Maybe a teaser for the next part of the Ooh, 27 yeah. part mini series 
episode miniseries, okay. whatever. Is, is this uh, is this specifically for Bob, or is this a different? Is this going following on from the current modeling? <laughs> no, I mean just uh, just what, what we do want to cover during the next uh, for the next episode. But now we you, have. Um, Yes. Now that we have a very good grasp on, <laughs> <laughs> on the basics, anyway, we can do another recap uh, next pod, time. Yeah, pod, podcast episodes can only go so far. People, you, I mean, needless to say, mm. we only scratch, scratch the surface here. Yes. And needless to say, we did not, we did not go into the mathematics of this because this is not what Linux and laws is all about. Because that will get very quickly very complicated um, we leave then, yeah. yes blatant cross cross promotion we leave the mathematical details to a podcast called the grumpy old quarters we had them on the show oh. yes we had them on the show quite a few episodes back uh, they are legacy people mostly concerned with windows with windows sorry with legacy windows people. Right? what's a legacy yes. person <laughs> people that are old the hint is actually in the name <laughs> <laughs> Grumpies, if you're listening, <laughs> you're, you're welcome back on the show at any time because we just, I, I thought it was just a hilarious episode and we really like you. But anyway, doesn't matter. Okay, uh, jokes aside. <laughs> yeah, the, the next episode will be about the practical applications of these kind of two Ooh. foundational frameworks like PyTorch and TensorFlow. We will go into, we will cover the, uh, Domain specific implica- the, the domain specific implementations like Keras and so forth based on ta- based on PyTorch workflow. And as I said, to say it's this episode is not about the finer details like mathematics and so mm. forth because that would fill another two or three uh, episodes of this mini series because it's just very complex and that's the reason why most well, it doesn't people work so actually, well without, uh, without blackboard either, does it? Yeah. Yes, and <laughs> that's the reason why actually most people would just use these frameworks rather than kind of mm. re-implementing these frameworks themselves. Indeed, because all the all the all the all the fancy math stuff is is abstracted away from you. Mm-hmm. That's the use bottom line. Computers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and levels of programming languages. Yes. And before we close out this episode, of course, ah, Martin, yes, we do have to, yes, feedback. we do have to do feedback. Yes. Feedback. Yes. Yeah. A certain Mr. Ken Fallon of HPR Ooh. fame. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Writes in to say, I always thought that artificial intelligence is misleading. Ken, you're absolutely spot on. Artificial programming would better describe what's going on. Yes, to a certain extent. Artificial intelligence, yes, of course. Ken, brutal teaser. Ken will be on the show very shortly. Ooh. For a couple of weeks' time, yes. Okay. And of course, Ken is one of the beautiful people behind something called Hacker Public Radio that we still use as our main hosting platform for all the episodes, kids out there. So, yes, artificial intelligence as a, as a term is somewhat misleading. I grant, I, I grant you that because... This is where it comes down to people's uh, definitions or, or interpretation of those words, right? Perhaps... Well, at the end of the day, the way we tackle artificial intelligence these days is more or less like programming in terms of algorithms being implemented by a computer. 
Yeah, but that okay. So, but yes, okay. The two are fairly synonymous at the moment. But if it you would, mean, it but doesn't you mean see, Martin, artificial if, intelligence can't be implemented in a different way, right? Exactly. If you would decouple, yeah, artificial intelligence from computers, hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. Indeed, Agreed. but we're not. No, because point. we are that kind of podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, we are that kind, we are that kind of people. In terms of uh, people, that too, that too. <laughs> yeah. In terms of people simply using computers to do artificial intelligence programming, and so Indeed. Ken is absolutely spot on. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if it's, um, I'm sure someone will come up with a biological artificial intelligence solution at some point. But, uh, or actually, or actually putting some other non von Neumann hardware to the game or something beyond computers. Yes. Hmm. Like molecular biology or something like, mm-hmm. not necessarily brains, but the, but the thing that comes <laughs> afterwards. Is, another is, topic uh, for another episode. Here's, here's a question for you. Is um, uh, intelligence limited to people? No, it certainly is not. Well, there you go then. You have it, it in to, to a very limited extent also in politicians, for example. Ah, yes, of course. Sorry, and other beings are anything to go by. <laughs> well, like people in marketing, or no? <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, no, but it's <laughs> a different story. And with that, we have not only reached the end of the tether, <laughs> indeed, but also the end of the show, I, I suppose. Yeah, I think so. So, Martin, see you on the other side for mm. another. For another episode on artificial whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, for the hipsters out there, that would be artificial space, full stop, star. Sorry, plus (laughs) being a complete regular expression now. (laughs) Excellent. Martin, and with that, we're going to call it a day and see you soon. This is the Linux In-Laws. You come for the knowledge, but stay for the madness. Thank Thank you you for listening. Skynet is proud to be a sponsor of this episode on neural network infrastructures. Forget the malarkey about Google being behind TensorFlow. As every Terminator worth his or her sword can tell you, we are behind it all. Google is our invention too. The rest is marketing. Like this cute little voice making you forget that Skynet was once this evil empire trying to change the world. If you can change, so can we. This podcast is licensed under the latest version of the Creative Commons license. Type attribution share alike. Credits for the intro music go to Blue Sea Roosters for the song Salute Margo, to Twin Flames for their piece called The Flow, used for the segment intros, and finally to Celestial Ground for their song Sweet Justice, used by the Dark Side. You find these and other ditties licensed under Creative Commons at Gemendo, a website dedicated to liberate the music industry from choking copyright legislation and other crap concepts. <laughs> Thank you.
You are currently the only person in this conference. The only person in this conference, but is this? Oh, I'm going to end the session and start a new one. Mm-hmm. Hello. Hello, 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 hello. Okay. Okay, okay. Yes, that apparently works okay. now. Uh-huh. Do you know what a quantum torus recursive neural network is? Well, I know what a torus is. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to work out what a quantum torus would be. Hmm. <laughs> you deviate from standard von Neumann architectures and you throw in qubits and, you, and then you pretty much have it. Okay. Like, like neural networks, basically, that are able mm. to tackle n, p, n, n space, p space, n p space, mm. instantaneously, more or less. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got to start somewhere. Well, you just you can write the programs for when this stuff actually is working sometime in the future or not. <laughs> um. That's this DeLorean car. <laughs> yes. Well, that wasn't a success, was it, really? <laughs> Apart well, from I mean, the movie, yeah. It was probably before its time, so... Well, no, it was made in Ireland by a dodgy crook. <laughs> this was the issue with it. Mark, if, if you if, say if so. If you're listening, um, whatever your name was, DeLorean guy, you're a crook. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think he produced at least six of them or something. Well, it was all funded by the, by the government or by the EU even, possibly. Yeah. Mm. That was Northern Ireland. <laughs> Hmm. Because it was uh, built in, yeah. Indeed. Yeah, it's probably you. Okay. I think you spent too much time in SEAL, don't you? <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Unlike other people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was a question from a, um, uh, a certain Bob. He was asking, when you're referring to models, is that similar to the pictures you're sending around usually? Or do you refer uh, to no, a no, type no, no, of model? No, no, no. Quite, quite different models, actually. <laughs> Okay, well, there you go, Bob. Yeah, thanks for answering, Bob. Bob, Bob, if you're listening, there are quite a few different categories of models. <laughs> and the model you're probably looking for, unfortunately, is not part of the show. I thought you were working on that. <laughs> no, Martin, I'm not. <laughs> okay. Fair enough, fair enough. Right, sorry, carry on. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.